Welcome back to the third and final installment of the things that we're covering within each state that might just creep you out this holiday season. Episode 1, Delina takes us through the state of Tennessee, covering everything from haunted caves to prisons. And in Episode 2, Shalon takes us through the sunshine state of Florida, where some things down there might not be so sunny. And today, I'm going to take you through the state of West Virginia. My name is Karen. Welcome to Sister Sharpen Sister. Let's get started. All right, Karen, it's your turn. <laughs> and West Virginia, oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, I love my state and it is absolutely awesome. The amount of, I don't know, Halloween themed things that we have. Do you call it Halloween themed? Supernatural things, paranormal things. What do I want to start with? Holy cow. Let's start with the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. <laughs> this is in Weston, West Virginia. It opened its doors to receive patients in 1864. It was authorized as a hospital by the Virginia Assembly, and I'm saying Virginia Assembly because at the time, West Virginia was still part of Virginia. It was authorized as a hospital in the early 1850s. The then superintendent of the Pennsylvania Hospital for the Insane, Thomas Kirkbride, designed the building in a Gothic and Tudor-style fashion. Um, it called for long, rambling wings arranged in a staggered formation to assure that each connecting structure received abundant therapeutic sunlight and fresh air, and so that patients were allowed privacy. Hmm. Yeah, which I thought was a really good thing, but then... It's like we were talking about with Dee Dee when she was talking about the prison. You build it to accommodate so many people and then you put more people in there than, than it can hold. And that seems to be what happens to all of these places. Construction was interrupted by the outbreak of the Civil War in 1861 and the partially built hospital and surrounding grounds became Camp Tyler for the Union. The completed southern wing of the asylum was used as barracks, and the main foundation was serving as a stable for the horses. Civil War history, right here. Uh, Confederate raids in 1862 and 1863 dislodged the Union troops temporarily. Following the admission of West Virginia as a state in 1863, the hospital was renamed the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane. And in 1864, Confederate raiders stripped the asylum of all the food and clothing intended for its first group of patients. Back in this time frame, asylums were places for people to be sent who were not only just in insane, and I'm doing that in quotations. A lot of people were committed for ridiculous reasons, such as laziness, religious enthusiasm, menopause, being superstitious, masturbation, tuberculosis, and something called domestic trouble. This pisses me off. Domestic trouble is when you had an outspoken wife who did not submit to her husband. The first patient admitted to the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was admitted for domestic trouble hmm. because she had a mind of her own. Uh, original construction planned for 250 people, but eventually, you know, there were more and more that got put in there. It has over more than 600 acres when it was originally built. And it had a cemetery for anybody that passed away while they were there. When the original plan was completed, 
1881, the total cost was $725,000, more than $300,000 over the original budget. This is in the 1860s. That's a lot of freaking money. Mm -hmm. More than 700 patients were housed in the building when it was built for 250 people. How much did it cost again? $725,000. I've done this stuff before to, to figure out uh, how much that would be worth in today's dollars, but I've never gone back that far in time. So okay. <laughs> a little bit harder for me to get my hands on. Hold on just a second here. Um, $725,000 in one is worth $21,822,926.47 today. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So we all know 19th century healing tactics were barbaric compared to today. Uh, did you know that some of them, other than bloodletting, we all know about bloodletting, but did you know that they did insulin coma therapy? Hmm. Uh, seclusion cells and confinement cribs were utilized to control violent patients. A lot of innocent people were put in there due to a misdiagnosis of insanity. And many people spent their entire lifetime at the asylum only to end up in an unmarked grave on a hillside. In 1913, the, na the name of the hospital was changed to the Weston State Hospital. In the early 20th century, overcrowding, a developing attitude that treatment should be directed more to maintenance than to attempt to rehabilitate, and a continual lack of funds plagued the hospital for many years. New buildings were filled as soon as they were completed. In 1949, the hospital had some 1,800 residents, and that year the Charleston Gazette reported that the facility had poor sanitation, insufficient furniture, insufficient lighting, insufficient heating in much of the complex. And at its peak in the 1950s, when its population reached 2,400 patients, one of the worst times for the patient at the hospital with overcrowding and understaffed conditions. During this time, also, many of the patients were um, submitted to ice pick lobotomies. Mm. And the Weston Hospital for the Mentally Insane was one of the hospitals where they perfected that technique. Wow. One doctor alone in, 19, in 1952, just in that one year, performed 228 lobotomies. So the good part. The part that we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> Tales of hauntings and unearthly spirits lurking in the buildings and on the grounds have been there long before it was ever a hospital. A few decades after being built, hauntings and sounds of restless souls became commonplace. That's how they put it, commonplace. Some workers were said to have stayed for only a few days and they quit after hearing inexplic inexplicable noises such as squeaky wheels of a gurney rolling along a hallway when there was nothing there. Ew. Over 2,000 people are buried in the cemetery at Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. They are numerous and range from Civil War era to children and ex-patients and even staff. Some of the offenders that were in this place were murderers, rapists, and uh, other violent criminal acts. These people were committed to this facility. Sightings that staff and visitors have seen are ghostly figures walking along the hallways and at night glimpsing shadow figures at all hours. You know, we've, we've all had that, what did I see just out of the corner of my eye? But mm -hmm. this is apparently, what did I see out of the corner of my eye? And when you turn your head to look, you actually see it leaving. <laughs> 
there is a civil war wing on the first floor of the building and it's the oldest part of the hospital and it's said to have a former patient as a ghost there whose name was ruth um however it's unknown as to why she was there or how she died but apparently she hated men and she has a history of throwing things at men when they go through here she's probably there for what was the term domestic yeah. trouble yeah, <laughs> for domestic trouble <laughs> There have been violence of patient against patient and patient against staff. And in Ward 2 on the second floor, a man was stabbed 17 times by another patient. In another or section of this ward, two patients committed suicide by hanging themselves from curtain rods. And this is the heavy area of shadow figures. And there's also been EVP, electronic voice phenomenon, where someone captured the words, get out. <laughs> Another well-known spirit, which is located on the fourth floor, is that of a child named Lily, who apparently <laughs> sits patiently in a toy room waiting for somebody to play with her. She wears a white dress and is said to be around nine years old, and she likes to play games with visitors and staff, as well as move toys around and sometimes turn on a music box. People have seen the toys move, and they've, and they've heard the music box come on with nobody being in the room. According to legend... It's said that Lily spent most of her short life inside the asylum, and one says she was dropped off there by her parents, while a second story says that she was born there to a mother who had been committed to the facility, and she died from pneumonia at age nine and has never known any other place as a home. There's also the appearance of a ghost that they say is a soldier by the name of Jacob, who said to stroll the hallways like he's on patrol and all kinds of sounds and screams and banging and slamming doors and moaning and breathing and hysterical laughter can be found at Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. <laughs> it is one place that I have wanted to go to for a really long time. You know, can you, can you we'll go on links. tours there? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. They have them. And I'm, I'm going to put links to, to everything that we've talked about in the show notes in case anybody is interested. Now, West Virginia is also home to a number of cryptids. Personally, I know of like three or four, not that I have seen them or have any experience with them, but just hearing tales and stories about them. But uh, supposedly there's like 12 to 15 just within West Virginia alone. One of them has been seen all over the world. That's Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. West Virginia has the Mothman. <laughs> The Mothman was seen in Point Pleasant, West Virginia on November the 15th, 1966, the first known and reported sighting, and it was seen several times between 1966, I'm sorry, November of 1966, all the way up through December of 1967. The first newspaper report that was published in the Point Pleasant Register dated November the 16th of 1966 says, this is the headline, Couples see man-sized bird, dot, 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 creature, dot, 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 something. And the <laughs> national press picked up on the story and helped spread the tale of Mothman across the United States. The source of the legend is believed to have been originating from sightings of out-of-migration sandhill cranes or herons. But I am looking at a, a clip of a newspaper article from Point Pleasant, West Virginia, titled Red-Eyed Creature Reported in West Virginia. And I'm going to read this uh, little bit here. 
Two Point Pleasant couples told police Wednesday that their car was followed about midnight by a bird-like creature six to seven feet tall with red eyes and a 10-foot wingspan. Steve Mallon and Roger Scarberry and their wives told Mason County Sheriff's Department deputies that they were riding near the wildlife reserve when they first encountered the thing, and the thing is in quotation marks. Mallet said it was large, measuring as much as seven feet, gray in color with eyes two inches in diameter. He said the eyes glowed red when the car's headlights were put on them, and this happened near an abandoned power plant. For anybody that doesn't know, Point Pleasant, West Virginia used to manufacture TNT. Uh, back to the article. Then Mallet said, the thing took off making a flapping noise and traveled at high speeds at about 100 miles an hour. Mala added it was a clumsy runner. So to me, it sounds like it started running and then took off. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. Okay, yeah. well, there's the article from that. What I am reading is on the website of a podcast called Astonishing Legends. You know, as much as Shalon talks about Mind Pump, Karen talks about Astonishing Legends. <laughs> Uh, episode 50 mothman part one they do a four-part series because this story is in-depth it is deep it involves uh men in black it involves a character by the name of indrid cold uh, who was seen several times there have been books written and there was a movie that starred richard gear so there's that about the mothman and if you want to visit point pleasant i highly recommend it i think we've talked about it before it's a very quaint little town it, it's I mean, it's quintessential country living. It's very nice. Another place, and I'm going to mention it, but I'm not sure I actually believe everything that you can read about this site. Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. When it opened in the 1920s, nobody knew about its bloody past, but apparently the site was a skirmish between Mitchell Clay and his family and the local Shawnee tribe. And after three of Clay's children were murdered, he sought Clay, Mr. Clay, sought revenge and killed several of the Native Americans. So that's the land that this amusement park is built on. Now, I will say that I take everything that says, you know, this was done on Indian burial ground. This was cursed by Native Americans. I take that with several heaping grains of salt. There, there's a ride. And when, a, when I first saw it at the West Virginia State Fair, when me and Delena were little, we used to go to the State Fair every year and camp. The first time I saw this, it was just called The Swing. But what it is, it's like a giant carousel that has swings on it that are on a chain that spin you around in circles, right? I think everybody yeah. knows what that is. Reportedly, a little girl around eight or nine years old was said to have been killed because she fell off of the swing supposedly there was another small girl that got hit by a Pepsi delivery truck or some kind of soda delivery truck because he couldn't see her behind him. He was backing up towards the um, concession stand and hit her. Now, if you go to their website, let me just click through to it. Um, it's in a place called Rock, West Virginia, and that's in Mercer County. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very rural. They do something at this time of the year called Dark Carnival, and the tickets are on sale now. And all visits are by appointment only. So there, that's Lake Shawnee. And I take that with a grain of salt. But I let me listen. For some reason, I have this memory 
of being a kid and riding in the back of the station wagon that mother had. Dee Dee knows the one I'm talking about because she ended up in the back in the back at one point. <laughs> That's a whole completely different story. Anyway, yeah, that is. I have a memory of riding in this vehicle and I have no idea why we were in this part of the state because this is not our county that we grew up in. But we were driving by it and I saw it in action like the ferris wheel was going and there were people there and the the swing was going i remember seeing it and i remember hearing carnival music <laughs> and i asked if we could stop and go to the carnival now dad was driving and you know how dad was with stuff like that he was like no no we're not going to do any of that but i, I distinctly have that memory and i want to say i was like seven or eight years old i mean that's creepy in and of itself yeah when it comes to West Virginia and cryptids, we're going to go back to cryptids now, the Flatwoods Monster. Now, this happened in Braxton County in the 1950s, early 1950s. A UFO, quote unquote, fell out of the sky and landed in West Virginia. The story is highly contradicted, but a group of children and neighbors saw it, went to where it fell and where it quote unquote fell or landed was in kind of like a like a little dip these kids and and the, the neighbors had to run up on top of a hill in order to be able to look down and see where the ufo was but what they said when they got up there was that there was a thing with shiny red eyes and a round red face that had a green drape like and when i say drape i'm talking like curtains clothing on and it was later dubbed the Flatwood Monster, but it hissed at the group and then disappeared. And it scared everybody basically shitless. And they ran back and called the police and had the police come out. When the police came, it wasn't there, obviously, but the sheriff and the deputies said that they could smell in the air burnt electrical wires. You know what that smells like, that ozone smell? Yes, yes. Said that was heavy in the air. If you want to go look for the Flatwoods Monster, that's in Braxton County. <laughs> All right. The the big, big one. Can I can I make a statement about Bigfoot? Yeah, go. You know where we grew up, right? The old homestead. Uh-huh. We had a neighbor. Mm-hmm. One neighbor, maybe a hundred yards away, right? Yeah. And I was over there one night one night and I was coming back to the house and it was winter time and wasn't a full moon, but enough of a moon that you could see. But I was coming into the yard, and the, it was frozen, and I slipped and fell. And I swear to you, something big and black was standing, and it was it was big. And it was standing probably six feet away from me. Holy cow. It was standing not in the creek, but down next to the creek, and I had fallen a little up into the yard. It just stood there and looked at me. I got up as quickly as I could. <laughs> you know because i was scared and now if it was just a big man who was just out and goofing off or whatever i don't know i don't know i'm not saying it was bigfoot but whatever it was it was big and it didn't look to me to be like a man uh, i don't know i'm not Good. saying it was bigfoot just saying that i saw something west virginia penitentiary in moundsville it opened in 1876 and closed in 1995. place was open for over 100 years. 94 men were executed by hanging or electrocution. 
and 36 murders happened within its walls. Hauntings have been reported of this place as early as the 1930s by guards who would see inmates walking freely on the grounds. But after they would set off the alarm, the prisoners were counted, and a complete search was done. Nothing was ever found. Now, I say that prisoners and guards probably saw stuff before this and just never said anything about it. Yeah. There's a gigantic fear of ridicule whenever you see something that's out of the ordinary. Yeah. One of the most frightening haunts at the West Virginia Penitentiary is the Shadow Man. Shadow figures are reported a lot when you talk about hauntings pretty much almost anywhere. And there's a number of theories that try to figure out what a shadow figure is. Ghosts who take on a darker form. They could be time travelers. They could be beings or aliens from interdimensional planes. Or they could be demons. That's what I found when I was looking up, like, what is a shadow man? Mm -hmm. According to witness reports, the shadow man at Moundsville has no visible features for identifying who it might be. Uh, Some speculate it's a guard going about his duties, while others think it may be an inmate trying to escape. Another spirit is that of William Red Snyder. He had cell number 20, and he was murdered while he was in prison. But he started his criminal career as an arsonist in his 20s and finally graduated to murder in the late 50s. I'm sorry, late 60s. He escaped. He went home and found out that his 15-year-old sister was in a relationship with a boy who lived nearby. No account is given as to why that made him so mad. But he told his dad that night, says, I'm going to end up killing that boy. And dad said, no, you're not. You are not going to do any such thing. It is not going to happen. Early the next morning, Red gets up, goes into the bedroom where his dad is lying asleep and shoots him dead. He then walks to the boy's home and takes the family hostage. The father of this family and the boy that she was apparently dating had gone out to do errands. And when they came back, the father, um, he, he jumped, he jumped Red, who had a gun, and they struggled, fell to the ground, and a shot goes off and ends up killing the father of this family. And he runs, he tries to take off, but he is, he's caught very quickly and he's sent straight back to Moundsville, put into cell number 20. While he was there... He eventually became the leader of the Aryan Brotherhood. Aryan Brotherhood is a racist organization that is very common within uh, the prison system of the United States. And it's said that nobody knows why he joined the Aryan Brotherhood, but they believe it was because there was a uh, there was a level of protection for him from everybody else in the prison by being with that organization. Hmm. Guards remember Red for his signature knit hat and his love for chewing tobacco. And also, I love this part, (laughs) because he had a habit, daily habit, of watching the soap opera, Days of Our Lives. My gosh. Right? I used to watch that. I used to watch that. Red's death came about at the hands of someone who was named uh, Rusty Lesseter, and who by all accounts was Red's friend. During a time when the inmates were allowed to walk around and, you know, visit one another in their cells, Rusty came over to Red's cell where they talked for a few minutes, and then Rusty attacked Red with a shiv made from a piece of his metal bed frame. He stabbed him 37 times, and when the guards arrived, it said that the walls of his cell cell number 20, 
were drenched in blood. There was no saving And the names of these two prisoners were Rusty and Red. Yeah, Rusty Lassiter and then William Red Snyder. You don't see the irony in Rusty and Red, yeah. <laughs> Red and the irony in it. Irony. You're so funny. <laughs> Isn't that where ghost hunters saw that black shadow thing on their cameras? Yeah, there's a shadow, there's a shadow figure yeah. here at this facility as well. Listen, Red, instead of being buried on the prison grounds like most inmates, the guards said, had such a high regard and respect for him. They actually petitioned and raised money for him to be buried in a local cemetery called Moundsville Riverview Cemetery so he could be buried near family. The locals did not want any part of having a violent prisoner in their cemetery next to their loved ones, but they lost that fight. And the locals said, okay, fine, you can bury him here, but there's one caveat. He cannot have a headstone. So he is buried somewhere in that cemetery with no headstone. Nothing marking his grave. As of March the 7th of 2021, that's the most recent article that I can find, Rusty Lester is still alive. He was released on parole in 2009, but very quickly got caught in some kind of a narcotics thing and was sent right back to jail. And he is currently in Huttonville, Huttonsville, it's got an S in it, Correctional Center, which is located in Randolph County, West Virginia. Huh. Other spots in Moundsville State Prison include the North Wagon Gate, which is where the hangings took place. And a lot of people hear and see things at that area. Death Row, there's a lot of crying and screaming and going on there. Now, West Virginia did not abolish the death penalty until 1965. There's a lot of sightings within the chapel. One interesting and Im infamous site is called the Sugar Shack. It was a rec room in the basement, and it was used when prisoners couldn't go outside because of the weather. The thing here is that there was another guy who was beaten to death for being a snitch in the Sugar Shack. And this facility has also been on the list of the Department of Justice's most violent prisons in the United States. Wow. Yeah. Didi, we know somebody who was a prisoner here for a short period of time. I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> who was it? A guy by the name of... And that's all you get, ladies and gentlemen, for the state of West Virginia. I'm not about to give out that person's name. Mm -mm. Okay, that's all we have for you today, folks. We certainly do appreciate you listening. You can find us exclusively on Spotify. Follow us on Instagram at Sister Sharpen Sister. And join the conversation by sending us an email to sharpsistertrio at gmail.com. The end. <laughs>